Welcome to episode 30 of the Golf Betting System podcast. We are discussing the 2018 FedEx St. Jude Classic on the PGA Tour and the Shot Clock Masters on the European Tour. This podcast is for listeners of 18 and above. I'm Steve Bamford, PGA Tour previewer at Golf Betting System, and with me we have European Tour expert Paul Williams. Evening to you, Paul. Evening, Steve. How are you doing? We're doing okay, thank you. Congratulations on your uh, on Mr. Bryson DeChambeau. DeChambeau, I pronounce his bloody name. I, Bryson DeChambeau yesterday. Well, if, if you can't say a name, I've got no <laughs> chance, really. Um, I've counted. I've counted over a hundred likes between our two tweets that we sent out last night. Yeah, no, so, no. So it was clearly a, a popular victory. Cracking stuff, and there was some some decent big wins on the uh, Facebook group as well, and a lot of people followed you in on Bryson, so uh, it was nice. Yeah, I, you know, it, start, it started to get a little bit hairy down the uh, stretch, didn't it? As uh, as Carl Stanley started to make those. Uh, I don't think I've ever had an easy winner, Paul. <laughs> they all uh, playoffs. Uh, I, I can. The other thing I did note yesterday was, of course, that not only did we get that winner, but you clearly got. The thirty-three to one shot Otegi two weeks ago. So yep. as a podcast, we're delivering. I know that uh, that Barry also had Peter Uline at a hundred to one yesterday. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he had a big each way on um, on, on Uline, didn't he? Which he, he so mentioned. Didn't he? Barry's having a week off the pod, but he's going to be back. Just to let listeners know as well, at the top of the show, we are going to be recording this week, and this is why this show is going to be quite short, and also why Barry isn't on here today. Uh, because it's a bank holiday in uh, Ireland. I think he's been on the golf course in the bar for too long. And he's, of course, doing his Shinnecock Hills uh, recce work. So we're going to record something later this week. We're going to do a PJ, um, a US Open rather preview. So uh, that, will be, that will be out and about at some point later this week. So look forward to that one. Yeah. Um, Golfbeingsystem.co.uk. That's uh, our website. Twitter, I'm at Bamford Golf and Paul is at Golf Betting. This podcast is available on Podbean, iTunes. Tune in for Android, Player FM, Podtail. There's a few others I will add to the list. It's growing by the, uh, by the week. Uh, naturally, subscribe or follow the podcast and tell your friends about the show. It would be much appreciated. Rate and review us on iTunes. And if you leave us a good review, we will read it out next week. Right. You've congratulated me already, so I'm, I'm already kind of <laughs> off kilter because I'm not used to people congratulating me on my tips. It rarely happens. So um, it was an interesting tournament, I thought, the Memorial, and it really did kind of come to fruition as it tends to every year. Everyone focuses on the big names and ultimately they're not really interested. They're more interested in what's happening at the US Open. And it gives a big opportunity for the kind of players that are just a level down who have got a great ball striking record. And that's one thing we can say about DeChambeau, Ben Ann, of course, Kyle Stanley. And they are your typical players that do well at Mewfield Village. Fairways, greens, not the best putters in the world. They're the guys that seem to contend year in and year out. Yeah, Stan, Stanley's got a decent record there as well, hasn't he? So it wasn't a complete shock that he uh, got himself in the mix with those those late uh, late birdies. I think he went four on the trot, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was only when he got to the 18th. But yeah, you take your luck and, uh, you know, we'll get a, a, a fair dose of good luck and bad luck in this game. It always seems to be more bad than good, but... Uh, 
yeah, you know, in the end, I think uh, I think Bryson did, was the deserved winner. So um, yeah, all good. Anything? Did you did you see anything statistically or anything with your eye? But I know you were away. Was there anything that you kind of have noted for the U.S. Open next week in terms of how people were playing or not playing particularly well? <laughs> No, I, th- I think we we need to go through the uh, data in a bit more detail ahead of uh, the the pod that you mentioned later in the week. But there, uh, there's bound to be some snippets in there. I think it needs a little bit of scrutiny. And you know, as you say, you and I have been uh, looking more at the uh, this week's events uh, so far today. But yes, I'm sure there's some something in there that we can uh, we can grab onto. Um, certainly, yep. some trends, isn't yeah. there, from the US Open that which uh, which would, we can start to filter through from. From this week's results. What did you make of the Italian Open? Yeah, I was a bit disappointed actually to get all four of mine through to the uh, to the weekend. Um, and uh, Eric Van Rooyen was the, the the best chance I had really. Um, and uh, he was going he was going quite nicely at nine under at one point, and then uh, you know I don't know whether it, it, there, there there were too many good names around him. I think. Yeah, there were, but he's a good player. You know, I, I think a lot of it's mental, isn't it? You know, if he's yeah. up there with players that he thinks are around his level, he's going to compete. But when he's got the likes of you know the the big names up there, the big European tour names, I think that plays on a lot of these young, oh, old some of them. Yeah, it came down. I mean, he, he started. It was it was Saturday where he came unstuck because he was in a great spot up to then and started poorly. Got it back, made four on the trot, and um, you know he pulled his round right round and then. Uh, uh, then it all went south again as he as he was coming home on Saturday, and you know the, the Sunday round is and, and, you know doesn't really matter really. He was never going to catch up the kind of number of shots that he needed to uh, to to get into contention on Sunday. So yeah, was it was it soft there course conditions or was it just a bloody easy golf course? No, it's it's, it's relatively soft, and I don't think you know if you look at some of the previous or the the. the um, the videos beforehand and Manicero made one and he was likening it to Valderrama I mean that's not Valderrama in a month of Sundays you know it's, uh, it's nothing of the sort so it's a straightforward easy track it's right if it's, when it's rain softened to any degree it's going to be scorable but then a lot of these Italian opens are the same aren't they the same same kind of setup they're not particularly penal from off the uh, off the tee um, you can still Make your shots into the greens. The greens can tend to be receptive and scorable, and uh, they usually have decent quality, so you can make a make a few putts. So you know, whichever way you look at it, generally it's going to be a kind of a twenty under there or thereabouts score that gets the job done. But uh, yeah, Olsen's a funny one, isn't he? You know, you and I've uh, talked about, oh, him. We've talked I, about I, him. When I'm seeing people this season tipping him up at fourteen to one, you just hold your head. Yeah. And we've said it so many times this season, do not, whatever you do, back him. And then I was I had a quick look this morning at his stats from last week and there was nothing in there whatsoever that would no. said, oh, he's going to go well this week. No, and sh- no. And sure enough, bang, low, sc- low scoring, he off yeah. he goes. It's um, And again, it was the putter that really caught fire with him. And, you know, he, he had an adequate enough tee to green performance and then you know when he's putting like that he's he's making everything and oh not everything but he's making a lot of putts and uh, you know he's making a lot of birdies and we know he's streaky we know he can make a lot of birdies when he's uh, when he's on form but how you can you know, how you can pluck him out and pick him up at these prices um is you know you've got to, it's either a stroke of luck or a stroke of genius when uh, it, when you jump on it it feels like an auto bet doesn't it where you're effectively betting him week in week out 
Yeah, he's a bit like a James Hahn, isn't he? Sometimes you'd look at his form line and the worse it is, the better. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. No, he totally ignore when he's playing well, and then once you've got two miscuts, three miscuts, and the cuts rather, and a sixty ninth, that's when you start lamping on. Yeah, yeah, that's when you dive in. It's uh, and yeah, but you know, eighty to one was the reward you got if you'd uh, stuck with him last uh, last week, and you know that's a big price for a player of his quality. You know, he's he's of undoubted quality, but you know, as you said, if you try to read through between the lines of his incoming form you really struggle to make a case for him but what does he need to do to get into the Ryder Cup now it, well, I mean it looks like Frank is in now doesn't it with a first and a second in two yeah there's, there's some big points he's got he probably needs to he probably needs another similar kind of result I'd have thought but um, you know that, that's going to put him in a strong strong position should he produce another Another result like that, and uh, you know, the the more of these players who win these kind of um, big, mm. high-ranking events, the Rolex events over, over on the European Tour, it puts a lot of pressure on some of these international, um, you know, the, the guys who are playing the PGA Tour, who um, you know might end up starting to struggle to make the team automatically. And that's, <laughs> that'll make an interesting dilemma for the picks further down the line. That's for sure. Fitzpatrick must be thinking he's struggling a little bit right now because yeah. he's, he's not quite getting the results he's needing is he there's no. one. Thomas Peters is way off yeah. um, Andy well, Sullivan's yeah. starting to find form so you might even find Sullivan makes a late run and we you know it's all up in the air big style it's interesting to see Peters actually play some decent golf last week for, for you know in patches he, he dropped away towards the end but uh, but yeah, and, and Fitzpatrick, I, he was incredible. I, I, I didn't back him last week, and I, you know when we talked this time last week, it was a case of whether I do or don't. And I, I left him alone, and then virtually every man and his dog backed and tipped him after I'd uh, I'd left him alone. So I was rather nervous I'd be the only one who'd, who'd, <laughs> who'd not backed him. But you know, he, again, he was he kind of flattered to deceive as he did the week before at Wentworth, where you know there's. <laughs> There's some decent enough play and some, you know, some good scoring, and then just some kind of mediocrity with it as well. He's just not firing on all cylinders, um, but when he does, he's going to win something, win something big, and he could make a, he could make a claim for a spot quite comfortably, couldn't he? So, you know, if you if you ended up with the likes of a Fitzpatrick and a Molinari and even an Olsen who managed to get themselves onto the team, then that's three big places that have uh, mm. been taken up for some of these you know what you consider the more high profile and uh, you know more kind of locked in players for the uh, for the team yeah it's, it's going to put a lot of emphasis on these uh, these these events leading up to the open isn't it you know the the Irish and the, the yeah. French and the, uh, the mm. Scottish they're going to be big old events very competitive Talk to us about the Shot Clock Masters, this another gimmicky European Tour event. I know, I'm going to say this before you crack on, um, it's a difficult tournament to assess, so I know you're going to keep it relatively brief. <laughs> yeah, it is, yeah. Um, so, in, in essence, this is the Leoness Open that we've seen um, over the last few years, since 2010 on the European Tour. Um, but the change of rules. So 72, 72 hole stroke play, played on the same course, the Diamond Country Club course, um, just outside of Vienna. Um, but the difference with this is that the European Tour are 
making a stand almost on slow play and you know making a making a point that uh, the play, play needs to be speeded up across the board and <laughs> professionals commentators everyone's you know singing from the same hymn sheet they're here so um, I think the concept will be well received in principle how it actually pans out um well we shall see I mean the, the European tours official timing policy is that the first player in any of any one group is given 50 seconds to play this shot and then any subsequent group um, shots from the other players in the group have 40 seconds. So those are the rules that are going to be applied here. So you could argue that actually what the rules are are no different to what should be enforced anyway. You know, That's these, interesting. These, these, I, these didn't, are, I didn't realise that. Okay. Yeah, so they're not being, it's not like speed snooker where they're being forced to play at a ridiculously fast pace. They're being asked or forced to play at the pace at which they're supposed to be being played stipulated yeah okay yeah absolutely um the difference with this is that every single shot is going to be timed and should you go over um your 50 seconds for the first shot in the group or 40 seconds for the subsequent shots then you will be penalized one shot you'll get a red card against your name on the leaderboard and clearly you'll be deducted a shot um the only Alternative to that, or the only time that that won't be enforced, is that each player has two two-minute timeouts at the start of each round that they can use and choose to play at any point during the round. So, should should they have a particularly important part or particularly hard shot or whatever they whenever they choose to play it, um, they can effectively take their t- timeout. They get two minutes to play their shot, and uh, clearly the the penalty won't be imposed for the forty or fifty seconds there. Um. So yeah, it's, it could be a lot of confusion, it could be a lot of fun, it could be a mix of the two, there could be a lot of penalties, um, or there may not be that many because it may just focus minds. And we've seen before, seen quite recently, when you know when there's a chance of a, an event drifting into Monday because you know it's extremely tight to to get all the players around, suddenly everyone speeds up. Suddenly, you know, daylight, which looked like it was going to run out if everyone was actually going to be going around in five, five and a half hour rounds, yeah. suddenly everyone finishes, you know, as well. It was like at the Byron Nelson a couple of weeks ago, when they got they got in by 20 past eight. <laughs> Precisely. Now, if yeah. you'd done, the, the, everyone was doing the maths beforehand, it's like, well, this is extremely tight, you know, it's not yeah. going to happen. Um, and suddenly it's fine, because everyone speeds the game up. And, you know, I think this is... A step in the right direction as to how it will work out and be, you know, pan out when it's executed. I don't. I, I, we're going to have to watch it and see. Um, the interesting thing with Diamond Country Club is it's not a particularly. T- um, it's not a particularly easy track. It's um, it's got four par fives which are scorable, and generally you're still getting a winning score only around about twelve to twelve under fourteen under. Okay. So you know it's not. A, it's not a walkover. It's not a twenty kind of mid twenty under uh, course. So it is going to present a challenge in its own right. Um, and when you start adding these either penalties for um, for slow play in, or clearly some players may well feel rushed and be rushed to play shots, you know, putts or shots out of the rough, or you know, if you get if you get blocked out, whatever it may be, there's you know there's going to be times when a player is going to be put under pressure to play quicker than they would ordinarily do. So I suspect overall the scoring's likely and quite likely to be significantly worse. You might find the winning score here is closer to level par, um, yeah. you know, unless unless they change the the difficulty of the course in terms of you know either either pulling some of the tees forward or um or putting the some of the pins in easy positions we won't know any of this of course until we actually get to the 
get to the get the, the tournament itself. So it's it's fascinating as to how it's going to pan out. Um, as I say, it's a tough old track. It's seven and a half thousand yards past seventy two, um, and there's water in play on um, on half of the hole. So there's scope for bogeys anyway. There's scope for you know it's it's not going to be a, a birdie fest where you're walking around and just taking three shots and virtually you know every other hole and and, and flying around the course anyway. It can be quite a uh, quite a tough track, particularly from scrambling from off the uh, off the greens. It's it's one of those tracks where it is quite tricky. Should you not hit fairways and greens? And for me, um, the key to this um, event and the key to the Leoness Open has always been the same. It's always been a tee to green stringent test, and players who can um, uh, players who can find lots of fairways, find lots of greens, are the ones who tend to prevail here. So, haven't um, you scored with Yost Loughton around here before? I, I very nearly. You, you may may remember. I think it was which year was it? Now twenty thirteen. I think it was. Um, yeah. I, I, no. In fact, I didn't. I think I missed him, and then I backed him the previous year, um, and um, he he was runner up, something like that. Anyway, he three putted the final green to miss on miss out on the playoff at that the year that I'd backed yeah. him. So uh, you've had the winner here, haven't you? I'm, yeah, quite likely. I'm just I'm looking through the list. It's um, looking back through. I didn't have Fratelli last year. Ashton Wu won it the year before that. Twenty uh, the twenty sixteen yeah. one hundred and sixty to one. You wouldn't have Chris Wood. No, um, Lundberg. I was nowhere near. Um, I'd have to look back through. I've, I've certainly been close on a few occasions here. Mm. Um, as you say, so, um, but yeah, if you look at those names, you've got the likes of Loughton, you've got the likes of Bernd Wiesberger, Kenny Ferry as well, won it in 20, uh, 2011. Um, and these are generally um, strong ball strikers, they're um, accurate, they hit lots of greens. Um, when they win, it tends to be the weeks that they move from a 1.8 putting average to a 1.7 and combine that with a decent week in terms of greens and regulations. So, um, that's the kind of player that I tend to look for here. So in essence, you've almost got to take the shot clock out of it and just still try and find the right kind of ingredients in terms of skill set and go with that. I th- for me, I think that's the only that's the only reasonable way to attack this because mm. you. You, you could look for the faster players who don't have the right game and assume that they're going to play well because they're under pressure to play quickly, but actually the course still doesn't suit them. Yeah. Can can a player reasonably play in what is the, you know, the agreed policy, policy the allotted time that you should be playing a, playing a shot in under the European Tour regulations? Of course they should. They should be able to play a shot in 50 seconds or 40 seconds. Mm. And if it's particularly tough or it's the, you know, the final putt to win the tournament, they can take a time out. Um, you know, assuming they haven't used it all up already. So, um, yes, I'm approaching it from a, um, you know, from from, a, from the angle of this is the Leoness Open on speed, effectively. You know, it's it's the same same event. It's the same format. It's just that they've they've makes they're sense. Under, yeah, they're under, makes they're under, sense. Under, pre- under pressure to play the shots in the in the allotted time. There will be penalties under that undoubtedly. They took they they trialed this on one of the holes at the. What uh, is the penalty? Uh, Goal is a what is a one shot penalty? Yeah, it's just a single shot penalty. Yeah, um, but clearly you continue to do it. You're going to rack up a lot of penalties, aren't you? Mm. And they they played this. Uh, they they tried it at the uh, golf sixes, didn't they? And um, and there were penalties given out um, for for um, uh, you know even at that event. So undoubtedly we're going to see people um, drop shots as a result of it. Um, and 
as to what kind of winner that produces, well, we shall see. Um, the, the real complicating factor here is that the, 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 the actual field itself is particularly poor. Now, you're coming off the back of a um, back-to-back uh, Rolex series event. So, you know, undoubtedly people are going to be taking some time out and, uh, and not attending these. But really, you know, even with that in mind, the, the field itself isn't particularly, well, you know, it is poor. You, I mean, you've got Dean, Dean Bermester leading the field at 14-1, to 1, Eric, Eric Van Royen. 16 to 1, two of the guys that I backed last week, in fact. Um, and they're now the first and second favourite. Uh, Matthias Schwab, Lee Slattery, 22 25 to 1. It's not so. filling you with enthusiasm, is it? <laughs> no. and, and you know for a start that Bermester or EVR wins because you tipped them up last week. So. Well, yeah, but uh, yeah, exactly. And you know, for me, the, the prices I was getting them last week were worth taking on 14 to 1, 16 to 1. Uh, yeah, no. I'm starting. You know, I'm, I'm, it's, as you say, it's not particularly filling you full of in, encouragement. You got Miguel Angel Jimenez in there, who's he clearly back. He played well last week. Don't you know? Don't get me wrong, but the guy's you know he's going to break all kinds of records should he win again on the European Tour, and he's he's generally twenty two to one at best. You know, some some firms have got him down at sixteen to one to win this. The second yeah, yeah. favorite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, as I say, it's, it's, it's not great. I'm gonna. I think this will lend itself to um, a, a higher price winner, um, a, a, the kind of player that will probably fit the bill. The one thing I, I do like here is I, I think that players who are going to have a positive history of the course are going to feel more comfortable on the course and are going to be able to play their shots, um, some of them from memory. Um, or at least with a level of comfort from having played similar shots from similar positions in the yeah. past. Yeah, 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 I get that. So play, players who have um, played the course in the past, you know, potentially a few times, and those who um, have performed well here may well be the um, well may well be the trick. I've only backed one player so far, and um, we're going to go out with these previews tomorrow lunchtime, ish I guess it will be by the time both yours and I are out. Um, the player I've backed is Gary Stahl, um, the Frenchman at 125 to 1. Now, it may well be that by lunchtime tomorrow, 125 is a, a thing of the past because that was a pretty standout price for me. Um, now, if you go back, Stahl, best known for picking up the pieces after Martin Keimer blew that ridiculously uh, large lead in Abu Dhabi. Um, when I backed him back, uh, what year was it now? Twenty fourteen, something yeah. like that. 20, yeah, yeah, yeah. Around that point, um, he's won a couple of Challenge Tour events, though. One of which was in Austria, and um, he's won in Switzerland as well. Um, now, after you beat Heimer, he's pretty much gone off the boil. He lost his card last year in the end, and he's gone dropped back down to the Challenge Tour. Um, but then, over his last six or seven starts, he's produced three top 20s. He started to play a bit better golf. Um, closed last week with a 66 in Switzerland. Um, and I think there might be something there. He's the kind of player that does hit a lot of greens in regulation. He's a good tee to green player when he's playing well. It's difficult to read between the lines at the moment because he's playing the Challenge Tour where there's no stats recorded on a weekly basis like that. So, you know, you're guessing to a degree exactly how his game is. But. If he's moved from a point where he's missing cut after cut after cut to now, um, you know, producing some decent scores and some decent top twenty finishes, he's got a bit of positive um, 
history in Austria generally because he's won out there. He's also finished in the top 10 here twice um, in his last three starts that he's played on this track as well. Mm, so there's there's lots there to, to like about it. Um, and I thought in the field, relative to what he's actually up against, 125 to 1 was more than a, more than a fair price. Well, when um, you're seeing him at 125 to 1 with Coral, seven places are 50 odds, and then other bookmakers on the standard five places have got him at 66 to 1 you yeah. think you think something's yeah you, like we always say you like that difference in price yeah there's clearly some uh, disparity between them yeah. now I've had a dig into Stal because clearly you can't ignore the fact that they're playing um, a limited you know or, you know restricted time frame um, in between their shots and there was an incident back, I remember it at the Portugal Masters, where Alvaro Quiros had a right pop at him about playing slow. Um, and uh, as a result of that, he stepped <laughs> stepped up his game and started playing, you know, for the rest of that round anyway, he was, he was, he was playing far quicker. So clearly he can change his style. Um, he's not. I don't think he's generally a slow player. I think he just um, he, he obviously him and uh, him and Alvaro had a bit of a, a set two that day um, on that particular that particular event but um, I don't know I expect if you dig into a lot of these players histories there'll be instances where they've taken a, a lot of time over a particular shot or um, you know have been accused of playing slow so I don't know how much you can read into that I'm not sure we shall see I could, I could be completely completely wrong and he'll be, he'll be incurring penalty shots from the start but um, I thought at the price on offer relative to the field he was um, well worth taking on okay but yeah, that's the only one I've backed so far. I, I think the formula for me to work through for the next few hours and in the morning will be, yeah, see these players that have played well either here or similar courses and, um, you know, could perform in this kind of field and take it from there. It's, other than that, I'm not sure there's a great deal more you can grab onto. And as you say, if you, if you get too analytical about the speed element of it, it could be a complete red herring. Or it could be completely the most important factor. Yeah, you've also got to think about the bigger picture in your P and L, haven't you? You know, is it is it worth putting 12, 14, 16 points on an event we know very little about, uh, or do you just you go 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 for a couple of players there that you, you're comfortable with and you think there's enough you know risk and re- and reward there to, to put them up? Yeah, it's, it's not a week to go after massively. Absolutely, it's, it's, it's not a week to go six points each way on Dean Bermester, I expect, even though he's probably going to win. Yeah, I, and for Mester... <laughs> no, 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 I've I used forget. him as an example. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There was a... Um, I forget which one he won now. It was at the Schwani Open, something like that. He, he won where um, he was a short price relative to what you'd expect him to be. Um, and he, you know, he, he obliged. And it, well, if he wins, he wins. But it's, it's a poor old price for a player that's... Uh, yeah, I don't know. We'll see. We'll We're see. in the same kind of boat over at the St Jude Classic, though. Because yeah. um, it's all relative, of course, and I'd, I would far rather have the St Jude Classic field than the Shot Clock Masters field. <laughs> but from a PGA Tour perspective, this again, you know, as ever, the week before US Open, it isn't the best of fields. You know, when you're seeing the likes of Brian Davis, uh, Tommy Gate, Tommy Two Gloves, your mates playing, Casey Wittenberg, you know, Andrew Young. When you're seeing players like that in the field, you know there isn't a lot of depth to it. In a lot of fairways, though, Tommy Two Gloves. Is he? <laughs> good, good, good for him. <laughs> and, and clearly, you know, Dustin Johnson could turn up and walk it. 
Uh, yeah. Brooks Brooks Coke is playing some golf, you know, from the stars at the moment. He could turn up and walk it. But whether I want to get involved at eleven to one is highly doubtful. Um, I was kind of tempted a little bit with Phil Mickelson. There was a little bit of sixteen to ones that's already gone, and at fourteens, you know, he finishes second and third here virtually every year. But mm. fourteen to one, you just you're throwing so much of your stake on one guy, hoping he's going to win. And if he if it wipes its face, it wipes its face. Oh, yeah. Plus, we know with Phil that he's often just honing his game the week before. And it's a dangerous thing to say because we've been caught out before when he's Yeah, he's, he's, he's won the Scottish Open before. Yeah, yeah. He's won a lot of tournaments before majors. But 14 to 1? Mm. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a risk to take that he's not just going there and uh, putting himself in positions to play some of his uh, his flop shots that he's going to want to play the following week uh, at Shinnecock. Yeah, it's... Uh, He's hitting a lot of greens still, Phil. When he has, has oh, got that, well. when he hasn't got that stupid shirt on like last week, he had a normal shirt on. He was top twenty-five for greens in regulation. If you looked at the hundred and twenty-player field, yeah. he's playing some half-piece in golf, so I could see him winning this. Mm. Um, but I don't know. I, I think you know. In a way, I'm I'm changing my strategy a little bit, like you have, and going for longer prices with a decent stake, and you, you can grab. Some very nice each way rewards that pay out to an equal amount or even better than actually picking the winner. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. You, you look at Bryson last week. If you'd have taken a place on him, then you'd have been being paid out what the, you know, all of the top players were around the twelve to one mark, weren't they? So fifty to one, you were getting there or thereabouts what the the winning price was. But he goes on and wins it, then uh, it's happy days, isn't it? Um, oh yeah, too right. Um, so. Uh, we're looking at TPC South Wind. It's a past seventy. It's viciously hot here. It's in Memphis again. It's going to be 32, 34, 35 degrees Celsius. Champion Bermuda grass greens. Uh, we've been playing quite a few of them recently, haven't we? Mm, um, yep. Quail Hollow. Yep. Uh, that springs to mind. We also had the one, the uh, the faux links at Trinity Forest. That was champion. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are other tournaments out there like the Sarnison Farms. Uh, I know they played a PGA Championship, the Keegan Bradley won in 2011 on champion. Yeah, Sedgefield, Barbasol they played there, didn't they? As well? Barbasol's another one. Aaron Badley won there a few years ago, didn't he? And I think last year that was won by uh, Grayson Murray, who's one yep. that I'm looking at quite closely because he's been playing some half-decent stuff, Murray. Mm, yep. um, it's It seems to be the kind of track that's a punishing past 70, yet... Rough is up, uh, but when you look at the winners, you know you don't need to keep it in the fairway here, and you'll see all and hear all of these uh, typical interviews. Oh, you've got to keep it in the shots. Oh, you've got to be on the fairway, and then you look at the stats at the end. No, you don't. Um, so it, it's one of those. I mean, that's obvious when you've got Phil Mickelson that's got a record here uh, over the last few years of seconds and thirds just reeling off. Um. But the key to me here is like you, it's the liking for the Bermuda grass. They're also playing on this zoysia grass. So I've got the pronunciation right on that one, zoysia. Yep. A lot of players don't like that, promotes flyers. Um, but if you look at key stats here, it's got a set of very tough par fours. I think there's eight par fours of more, under, more than 450 yards. 
Um, it's only got two par fives naturally, a traditional par 70 setup. The stats that I love this week and seem to work year in, year out are par four birdie or better. Something around about a seven, uh, a six, seven, eight iron in terms of approaches. So anything out to about 200 yards, some kind of proximity number on that. But you have got to be a top putter in terms of anything from 15 out to 25 feet. And that works year in, year out for this place. And I think must a lot of that will be that, you know, clearly a lot of your chances, if you're hitting an amount of greens, are going to be in that range. And if you've got a confident putter, someone that's converting 25, 28% of those chances, they're going to be right in the mix. Now, a lot of, yeah. a lot of guys, you look at their putting average stroke gain stats, they look decent, but actually they're, they're better shorter putters than they are from this kind of range. So mm. just looking at a strokes gain putting or a a putting average type number doesn't always tell this tale. So I'm looking at 15 to 25 feet, good strong putters in that area. And that does seem to work year in, year out for around here. And that's creating kind of a few, as always, a few grey areas in my mind with players I'm very, very interested in. Yeah. And, and can they actually putt well enough to get the job done? Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, the field's okay. DJ's at sevens, already been backed in. Brooks Coker, everyone's going to get on board with Brokes. Um, I think the last he doesn't on the PGA Tour, he hasn't won off a top ten. Uh, but I think he's won that Dunlop Phoenix tournament out of Japan. He finished second the week before, won that. Yeah, he looked really good the other week. As he well, looked brilliant the other week. But then we've seen him look brilliant, and then he looked brilliant last year. He was second at the Byron Nelson, lost in a playoff, I think, to Billy Horschel. And he finished in the top 12 here. So, yeah, it's not guaranteed, is it? And at, no. yeah, it's going to be nine, ten to one best price. I can't really get involved. I don't like win-only betting. And the week before he defends the US Open, I'm not... Is that going to play on his mind? Who knows? But statistically, he's perfect. So, mm. he could win. DJ could win. Mickelson could win. And we, we're staying in the office. Of the guys at the top of the market, the one I do not like is Henrik Stenson because he has not got the strength of putting you're going to need to do well around here. But if Henrik plays well this week, hits a ton of greens and you just see a warming of the of, of the putter, I really, as you know, and we'll talk about this in, in the US Open preview, I think Stenson's got a good shout for next week. I'm already on board on Stenson. So, yeah. And his price is shortening for the US Open all of the time. We've then got, of course, three Pete Daniel Berger. He's won here in 2016-2017. Pete will say 28-1. to 1. That was the same price he won at last year. When you look at his stats compared to the two years he's won here and just the way he's been playing, for me, he's not playing nearly as well. So I'm going to avoid Berger. Adam Scott, you're looking for strong putters. Anyway, enough said. And then we're down to the likes of good players. The you know Finals, the Horshaws, who's got a great record around here, Billy Horshaw, thirty-three to one. I'm seeing hanging about with Horshaw, yeah. Ben Ann. But and and you're in the same boat to a certain extent. I know that. But I also I don't really want to go for players this week that have got to got to go really well to get into the U.S. Open on a top sixty qualification. Because if you look at kind of the numbers and the, who's done well here in the past, it tends to be people who potentially have already qualified today in the sectional qualifiers. It could be someone that went to the sectional qualifiers and didn't qualify, mm. and they're not worried whatsoever anymore about the US Open. Or 
it's one of these elite type players that actually says, I'm really hungry for a win. I'm going to take this one. Yeah. And when Dustin Johnson won this in 2012, um, he hadn't won for eight months and it was almost low-hanging fruit, came and got the job done. Uh, so, you know, you can kind of see that in players. Yeah. Um, players that I've backed already on this, there's one that I'm... I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to read you through um, my first tip that I've already written on this. Because it displays something that I really um, like the look of this week in terms of some some form in terms of correlating courses. Yep. And and with a mix of winners like Daniel Berger, uh, Fabien Gomez of all people, 400 to 1 he won this out in 2015. Mm-hmm. Ben Crane, Harris English. Linking to say, oh, they've got to have done well on this particular course, it's virtually impossible to do that. But you get the kind of drift because Gomez had done some decent stuff in Puerto Rico. He'd also managed to get some PJ Tour top tens on Bermuda grass. So I want positive Bermuda grass players in terms of their putting. Yeah. But I've also looked at these names, right? Harris English, he won here in 13. Troy Merritt was second here in 2014. Fabian Gomez, as we know, won here 2015. Berger, 2016-17. And last year, Wee Kim, your old mucker, Wee Kim, finished mm. second here. So I've gone yeah. back to web.com form and just seen if there's any correlation with courses on the web.com between those kind of players. Okay. And it was interesting. I'll just read this out to you. Um, Harris English, he was a winner at Ohio State Golf Club on the web.com. Troy Merritt, not a great record on the web.com, but he did win a tournament and he won that at the El Bosque Golf Club, which is where they played a Mexico championship. Uh, Fabian Gomez, first at the Louisiana Open. Uh, He also finished second at the BMW Pro-Am, second at the Stonebray Championship, as it was called back then. And he also finished second at the WNB Classic, which is played at Midland Country Club, or it was, which, lo and behold, is where Harris English finished second as well. So if you like that kind of link, and I can already see some backing of this guy, Danny Lee jumps out from that particular link. Yeah, he's been playing better Lee, hasn't he? He has. He was all, did he shoot eight over or something? Yeah, uh, eight over in the first round, didn't he, at Memorial? And then he finished... He, he fin- he, he actually had a really good Friday, but didn't make the cut. Mm. But there's something in Danny Lee, yeah? Yeah, it's not far off. Uh, Daniel Berger, third in Panama, third at El Bosque, second at Stonebray. Wee Kim, guess what? Second at El Bosque, eighth in Colombia, and he was third and also ninth uh, at Ohio State Golf Club. You think, well, there's some, there's some, a lot of courses there being mentioned around mm. the same kind of players that have finished in the top two here. Yep. So should, should we dig into that? And one name, and I said this to you over the weekend, one name that has been staring me in the face since Friday of last week is Wesley Bryan. And yeah, I am bit, I am shocked and pleased about his price this week. Yeah, two hundred to one. Two hundred to one. I'm seeing. I hope it's still there when we go to press tomorrow, and I hope it's still there for followers because or listeners even. Listen to this. So El Bos Golf Club Mexico Championship. He won that. 
Yeah. Yeah. He also won at Le Triomphe, both in 2016 when he when he he got promoted out of the web.com. So he's won at two of those three golf courses, yeah? Mm-hmm. Seventh in Panama that year. So you can tell he loves Bermuda grass, just from those kind of results, yeah? And then last year, if we remember, he was fourth at Riviera. And you think, well, what's Riviera got to do with this, Steve? Well, think about it. Riviera Country Club, yeah, it's, it's in California, but... Phil Mickelson's won there twice. Dustin Johnson's won there. They ain't got a bad record here, have they? No, no. So that ties in, yeah, even though the grass is completely different. And then, of course, he went on a tear, didn't he? He was... He came fourth again at the Honda Classic, PGA National. Well, where's Daniel Berger done well? well he's done well at the Honda Classic, hasn't he? He finished second there, uh, lost in a playoff to Paddy Harrington in 2015. Yeah, and it's all tying up. He and of course with um, Wesley Bryan, he then I think he finished. Uh, I'm trying to read my own writing, which I apologise. Seventh at Copperhead, and he then went on to win his maiden PGA Tour title at Harbour Town. Brilliant, and he played here in 2016. Now he played here in 2016 after he'd won those two Web.com events, and it was his first ever PGA Tour event. And after 36 holes on the Friday, he was fourth. Yeah. 200 to one. Now, in my in my poor mathematical brain, that's a 40 to one. It is indeed, yeah. Result so, if he finishes in the top seven with Coral. Yeah. It's only, as you say, it was only his final round, really, last week that, uh, that pulled him all the way back because he'd started off really well, hadn't he? I think he, he, he played Saturday-level par, which wasn't bad. Uh, that was the I think that was the day when Mark Rowe completely got him wrong on the first tee, saying he was someone completely different. <laughs> that that went round on Twitter. And then, yeah, he, he blew up on Sunday. But you can almost excuse that, can't you? First, he hasn't been in contention for a while. And let's be frank... Muirfield Village, the cathedral of ball striking, yeah? Mm-hmm. Nice, strong, accurate ball striking. That isn't Wesley Bryan. But what is Wesley Bryan? He's strong Bermuda cross uh, putting. He's still in the top 90 in terms of par 4 birdie or better. And, he's, and his putting from 15 to 25 feet is unbelievable. I think he's second on the PGO Tour, 20 to 25 feet. So I think he's got a great chance this week. I really That's, do. They're strong stats, given... given He's, he's playing headline, so badly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Given his headline uh, form, you you wouldn't imagine he'd be anywhere near as strong on some of those stats. But uh, yeah, I like him. I like him. Um, another one I do like is Matt Jones. I'll be I'll be writing him up tonight. Matt Jones again. He's finished fourth here in the past. Um, he's he gets very few opportunities now on the PGA Tour. But if you look at previous winners here, like Berger. We know that Daniel Berger's done well at Houston. Ben Crane's finished fourth at Houston. Dustin Johnson's finished fourth there. And there are other courses that play to that kind of ilk. Phoenix is another one. You look at Matt Jones. uh, He's won at Houston. And also, he tends to play well on courses where a lot of the champions here have played well. And he's got a great record here. And he's really, really hungry because he's outside the FedEx Cup 125. He's getting limited opportunities you know, he, he can't. The days of getting in, into invitational status tournaments are long gone. So I think, and if I remember correctly, I think he went out in the final group at uh, Trinity Forest a few weeks ago at yep. the at the Byron Nelson. Mm-hmm. Again, statistically, he's got a full 
um, a full list of stats that I'm looking for. And he's sitting in the top 16 or something on my 10-week rolling GIR model. Yeah. That's a must-back. Matt Jones, yeah? Now, the one, and I'm going to ask you for... I, I, I like asking you for an opinion. And, I, you know, I'd ask the listeners, but clearly they can't talk to me. But <laughs> Luke List. Luke T- List. Talk me out of Luke List. Now, I know that Jeff Feinberg and the likes of these guys are going to be all over Luke List this week. And I was surprised I was surprised by his price. I really was. Yeah, well, he's got, he needs to putt, doesn't he? Um, and if he's, uh, he's one of the most infuriating players. There's a few, isn't there? If you, if you back these guys, you just cannot... You can't, you can't watch Shot Tracker because you'd just be throwing the laptop through the window. It's um, well, your phone through the window. The thing the with Luke is, though, it. he's so Bermuda positive. I think if you look at a lot of his stats, clearly putting, he's so poor on certain types of grass, but he's better on Bermuda. It just skews all of his season-long numbers. Yeah, no, no. If, if you can, if you can read between the lines, and you're comfortable that he could get a, you know, a, a, a low 1.7 putting average um, out of the week. Then the rest of his games on yeah on point. on point, and you know that as well as I do because he's he's like you said about Yost Lauten. He's he's exactly what you were looking for in your event this week. Yeah, he's the ball striker that just puts a little bit better than he usually does. Yeah, yeah. And is there a catalyst that drives that in, increased and improved putting performance? It could well be the champion Bermuda. It could be, you know, a multitude of different factors. So listen to this, Paul. You're going to love this. Go, Panama. Web.com, second. Mm-hmm. Right. Second at the Honda Classic, Daniel Berger. He's also finished 10th at the Honda Classic. El Bosque, he's finished 6th there. Right. Houston Open, finished 3rd. Mm. RBC Heritage this year, we know he was 3rd. And I was really impressed with him around there because you think uh, Harbour Town, claustrophobic. Yeah, he just, just played so well. And actually, we know that on a less than driver golf course, he's he's really, really strong. That's clear, yeah? He's actually yeah. better on those golf courses than the longer ones that you think are going to suit him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, okay. He was ninth last time out on champion Bermuda grass at Quail Hollow. Uh, if we then go to this week, just gone at Memorial, I noticed he had a really good Friday. He shot a 67, which was the 11th best in field that day. But actually, before they went off for the rain delay, he was something crazy, like seven under. And then he, the rain delay seemed to get to his head and he, he bogeyed a couple. Right. So, so I think he's playing quite nicely. Now, Stonebray, second. The Ohio State Golf Club, fifth. Now, this man's got a full house of everywhere where I want to see him playing well. Yeah, and... and- and he's also finished second at the Sanderson Farms and champion yeah. Bermuda Grass Greens. Yeah, okay. You know, going back a few weeks ago when he was being priced at kind of 25s thereabouts, yeah, 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 you know, yeah. if you're looking at it and thinking, really? Luke List, 25 to 1? I'm seeing 50 to 1 right now, Paul. Seven yep. places each way with Coral. Yeah. I, I, you know, can he finish in the top seven? I, you know, I don't think there's any question that he could... Uh, he's already qualified for the uh, US Open because he's he's been well inside the top 16. He's got nothing to worry about next week. He won't be worried about the US Open whatsoever because it's going to be one of his first majors. He'll think he's going there just for a bit of a laugh and to experience the atmosphere. He might even play quite well. No pressure at all. But this week, 
when you've got a lot of these guys at the very top of their mark of the market honing their games, the like of Luke List just popping up and taking his maiden PGA, maiden PGA to a title, that makes a lot of sense to me. I think there's a number here about four of the last six or seven have won their maiden tour title here. Yep. Yep. Maybe he's the one. Maybe he's the one, mate. Back to back fifty to one winners potentially. When you just look at the when you look at everything and you just think to yourself, well actually if you take away the fact that he hasn't got the, the kind of putting stats we're looking for between fifteen and twenty five feet on his season numbers, it just fits perfectly, all of that form and just the way he plays. I mean, he's fifteenth in um strokes gained around the green. He's got a great short game. He's got a fantastic greens in regulation game. It's just that putter. You've got to make those, make those, make those makeable putts. And last year, he came into this event with none of the key statistics I was looking for at all. None whatsoever, right? And he went off in the second last group, two shots off the lead. And you're not telling me now that Luke List is a better player 12 months on than that. Mm. God, I'm just going to have to put him in, aren't I? Yeah. No, no, no. If you, you, you've made a decent, decent enough case for him there, Stephen. So I think I'm going to go for List... Jones and Brian, and that might be just the three I go with this week. Some night bigger, little bit bigger stakes between the three of them, but probably a lot less than I would normally put on an event, just to make sure you don't start fritting away all the profit you made last week. <laughs> yeah, and I guess we need to see what happens with these sectional qualifiers as well, don't we? And oh yeah, there tends yeah. to be a lot of withdrawals and. Um, well, you say that there's already been four, five withdrawals this afternoon. KJ Choi, Bo Hosler. Jamie Lovemark, Steve Marino, JJ Spawn, all gone. There's going to be more as well. There's going to be a lot more. Yeah. Yeah, it's a messy old week, isn't it? It's a messy, horrible old week. Mm. Are there any... I take it you're going to be back in Peter Malnati this week. <laughs> I've, uh, I've gone for two... I've backed two long shots today. Derek Fatauer. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Derek, that's a good... Yeah, I like that. That's a really good bet. Um, he finished 16th for the Byron Nelson, which we've talked about in terms of the correlation with the uh, Greens, and he was third for putting average that week, actually. He was. He um, shot a 66 in round three, which was second yeah, best in did. field, yeah? Yeah, yeah. yeah no, he's, he's, he's shown a nice little bit of form. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. 24th here last year, and he shot 65 in the second round here last year as well. So um, 400 to 1 um, really tickled my fancy earlier on, and that's been taken. Anything in the first round leader bet on Fat Howe, you think? Potentially. Um, I've, got, I've got a first round leader, which I'll talk about. Because I've noted him down here in my you know, my notes as a potential first round leader bet, Fat Howe. Because yep. I've seen what you've seen. He, he does look very attractive this week. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, there was only one booking up with uh, FRL prices when I placed it, so I haven't had, had a further look yet. But, uh, uh, but yeah, I quite fancy him. Um, Ryan Blaum. Who, yeah, uh, he's uh, he did well recently, one, didn't he? Yeah, he did. He's, he's a bit hit and miss. There's a lot of missed cuts in there. But when you're getting 300 to one on a player, if he misses yeah. the cut, you kind of accept that, don't you? He um, was he was sick at the Byron, wasn't he? And again, yeah, he, was. He, he shot a 67 in round three, which was third best in the field. Yeah, he was second part on average that week. Um, if you go back to the Barbasol, which we talked about earlier um, in 2017, so last year, he finished sixth. Yeah. And he, le- he led the field there for putting average that week. So he le- clearly likes a bit of Delta Champ and Bermuda putting surface. 
Yeah, um, which he clearly had at, at uh, Trinity Forest. And, of course, that was also the Zoyjaya, Zoyjaya Fairways. So, yeah, that that what price is he? 300 to 1. Wow. Um, so, yeah, there's a couple of... Sony, he finished well at Sony Open. Not that there's a ma- massive amount of correlation there. But he, uh, 10th at Sedgefield last year. Um, and, again, he was 8th for putting average. So, a lot of these courses where you're seeing similar putting surfaces, he tends to pop up and tends to really react on well, the surface. You say that about Wireline, Sony Open. Burgers finished 13th there. Fabian Gomez won there after he won this. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Harris English has got a third and a fourth there. Harrison, in, go back to Harrison Fraser. You remember him? He yeah, fin- yeah. He's finished second twice at Wylong. Mm-hmm. So there is a lot of course correlation there. Yeah, yeah, perhaps. Yeah, I do like he, He's there. another one that I've actually got a mark around, Blown. Mm. Yeah, well, so they're the two that I've backed at long prices in the outright market. The um, first round leader, um, I'll take your inspiration from last year. Because if you go back to the Wyndham where you snared Mr. Matt Every at 200 to 1 for oh, round leader last auto year. Auto bet, is it? Yeah. Well, if you go back through his history prior to that, he was first round leader two events prior at the Canadian Open. And yeah. if you go back a little bit further, he was the first round leader here yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, with a nice early 64 that he shot. He was. And round. do you know what? He was first round leader with Scott Brown, Stuart Sink and Sebastian Munoz. Mm. And he was a 300 to one shot. Yep. So... Matt does like to get out of the blocks early. He's not been playing well. He's missed four cuts in the trot. So he's out. His, his um, standard, his, his outright price is 250 to 1. But I suspect we'll get 200 to 1, maybe just under for a first round leader bet. Mm-hmm. He's the kind of player that can just pop up, find that bit of form, make some putts, shoot a nice low first round, and give you a nice, decent payoff. So. Um, I'm keeping a close eye on the first round leader markets as they as they start to form over the next few hours. And I like all of those, Paul. Yeah, hopefully there's a return in there. But uh, we're yeah, we're, so. we're clearly thinking along same lines, mate. Mm. Good. Well, hopefully between us, we'll uh, we'll snare some. And don't forget, I mean, listen to this. Wee Kim was three hundred to one when he finished second here last year. Mm. Yeah, Fabian Gomez and Greg Owen in twenty fifteen oh, yeah. were four hundred to one. It happens. Mm. It does happen. Yeah, it happens, mate. Right, let's get. Oh, we said this was going to last 25 minutes this show, and it's 53 minutes. So we better get going. Uh, thank you for your time, Paul. Um, thank you for listening, uh, listeners. And we will be back later in the week for our 2018 US Open preview, where we're going to go into Shinnecock Hills. The course uh, and what we think is going to be or are going to be the keys that can unlock the winner around there. So we don't know exactly, but it's going to be later on this week that we're going to put that out there. So you can uh, get your heads around it over this weekend before we go into US Open week next week. Thanks for your time, Paul. Much appreciated. Cheers. Good luck, guys. Cheers. Bye-bye.